What's up, church planners, pastors, and disciple makers? My name is Jared Huntley, coming to you from Washington, D.C., and I'm with my good friend Logan Douglas, who's coming to you from Reykjavik, Iceland. You are listening to In the Trenches, a podcast by ordinary church planters that exists to encourage and equip other church planters and pastors to make disciples in hard places. Well, Logan, what's going on, man? Not too much, Jared. I'm just enjoying this nice September day. It is getting cold and windy in Iceland. Is it really already? Uh, Yes, it is. uh, Iceland kind of doesn't have a fall. It just really goes quickly, I think, from summer to winter. Uh, And so people are are just walking around going, winter's coming. You know, it's just... uh, it's fun. Like it's in the 40s, uh, which uh, for people, what what was the temperature today in D.C.? Uh, it's like going to be like 87. <laughs> yeah, I'm fairly certain that uh, many people in this country would die if it got that hot. They would just, <laughs> yeah, they would go bury themselves in a hole uh, or go live on a glacier. They would not. No, they wouldn't be able to handle it. Wouldn't be able to handle no. it. Yeah. No. Man, so what's been going on uh, just ministry-wise up there? What's what's maybe one cool thing that you have seen God do over the past week? Uh, well, so yesterday I had one of my uh, Vikings, that's what I call the Icelandic guys, yes. who come and... Uh, either play chess or do burpees or just uh, combination I mean, of both. Yeah, it's just you know combination of both. I mean, we do we we play board games. We just talk life, and I mean, one of them uh, was over yesterday for a couple of hours, and I mean, almost the entire conversation was gospel centered and even had gospel proclamation. And I mean, I'm able to just really riff with this guy and be really honest. And, you know, I, I said multiple times, I said, look, you know, I think you're going to hell uh, <laughs> because you're not a Christian. I was like, so that's the position that I'm coming from. Why I'm, you know, he what's so funny is he sees so much of the evidences of God. Mm-hmm. I mean, and he, he's very, he's extremely intelligent. He's all into philosophy, but he's also uh, huge into like anthropology and sociology and history. And so he just does not buy into kind of the Icelandic mindset of uh, kind of a very aggressively feministic, not nuclear family, mm-hmm. uh, secular culture. He just sees kind of through it and Mm -hmm. I was like bro you like you have no reason to think this with your worldview being not founded on the God of the of scripture Mm. and so I mean we just we just got to talk about it and I mean he shared with me how he's felt emotionally abused in the past by people sharing the gospel with him and just felt like they were trying to manipulate him and guilt him but he didn't feel that with me. I mean, uh, he just felt like mm. he knew that I respected him and I wasn't trying to force the decision. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was just, that was a very encouraging conversation. And I just, you know, just being able to be very open with him, like, you know, I pray that you would repent and believe and become a Christian, right? And he goes, oh yeah, yeah, I, I get it. That's and awesome. it just, yeah. So yesterday was a good day. 
it's just a good reminder, man, of how like the gospel is the power of God into salvation. And when we proclaim the whole counsel of God, like God uses that. I think a lot of times I hear people are, you know, are kind of afraid to go there in the in their gospel conversations because they're afraid they're going to push people away to be as frank with somebody, you know, as you were and saying like, you know, I believe you're going to hell. Right. But to be able to do it in such a way where you've already served him and loved him and, and built up that relational equity to where you've, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of this phrase, but I, but the reason I think it can work where you've kind of earned the right to be able to say things like that to him, right? Cause he mm-hmm. sees and knows that you love him and you're able to be real with him and honest with him. And it's interesting how like he can sense that and he can tell the differences. So he doesn't feel pressured or bullied when you say that he, I think probably perceives that you're telling him the truth that you're telling him like, Nope, I really believe this. This is really true. And I don't want you to go to hell because I love you. And like, I think that's the kind of evangelism that is needed if we're going to see people repent of their sin and come to Christ. Um, but it's, uh, I think, intimidating for a lot of people because they're afraid they're going to push people away. But I think it's actually quite the opposite that happens when we have that, when we love people enough to tell them that and when we're bold enough to kind of step out and just say it. Uh, I think God works in surprising ways and he surprises us and people, you know, respond to that because like the Holy Spirit's got to convict somebody of their sin and their need for righteousness and of coming judgment before they can receive the good news of the gospel. Yeah. Well, and it, I know that in times past where I've struggled with this has, I think, been because I feel as though I only get one shot at it. Mm-hmm. And so I feel mm-hmm. like it, it's, it's divorced of relationship. But what I've seen over the last year and a half of living in Iceland, I mean, he's not the first Icelandic guy that I've said this to. Mm. I mean, almost all of them understand that based off of what I believe to be true about God and about the universe, that everyone who is not repentant and forgiven their sins in Christ, so everyone who is not a Christian is going to hell, but it doesn't change how I... um, how I love them and how I relate to them. That's mm-hmm. one of the, like, so when you have that relationship, like I have with these guys, they understand that one, I was going to hell until Christ saved me. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not speaking from a position of, I think you should go to hell or I'm better than you because I'm not going to hell. It's like, no, bro, I was going to hell too. I have done nothing to earn this. Mm-hmm. I responded to the same offer of grace that you have before you. And so I'm only saved by Christ's righteousness and his merited um, righteousness, not my own. And it's it, like, that's it. That's the only reason I'm saved. So I'm no better than you. I'm just different in the fact that I've responded positively to this by, through repentance and faith. And you can too. So it, it it isn't condescending in that sense. Um, but again, over the relationship, there's the fact that I don't treat you different uh, in the context of our friendship. Like, you know, I, yeah, he they probably don't have other friends that are saying that they're going to suffer eternal condemnation. But I'm just quick to tell them like, hey, you don't believe what I believe is true anyway. So what does it matter if I think you're going to go to a place 
that doesn't exist according to you. Like mm-hmm. that's that's like if you think that I'm going to go to the North Pole because you believe that Santa Claus is God, I'm going to be like, okay, you can think whatever you want. Like, I feel like we just we're not comfortable doing it. And mm-hmm. I and I know that eternity really is at stake, and we love and pray and want people to be saved. But again, we've said this in previous podcasts. God wants to save people more than we want to save them. Jesus desires that people would respond to his free offer of grace. Uh, and and so knowing that and knowing that it is all of God's work mm-hmm. in salvation, I mean, we do get to, not in a cavalier, not in a non-caring way, but we do get to just be able to say those things without um, fear. I mean, yeah. I, at least in my in my context, I think that's possible. And I've done that with a few guys um, here. And I think just the more comfortable you are and the more you establish that you're no better than them, but also the fact that before you shared the gospel, you loved them. And after you shared the gospel and they rejected it, you loved them. I think that it just helps them further understand you and yeah. where you're coming from Uh and yeah, I've only I have only seen that be respected. I think there's this false dichotomy that gets set up in evangelism to where it's like you either have to be a relational evangelist where you don't really talk about things like that. You just kind of, uh, you know, befriend somebody into salvation, you know, perpetually and you just, you know, be nice to them, love them, tell them about how much God loves them, you know, and and you just, you know, and serve them and all that. And those are good things. Like we should serve people. We should tell them that God loves them. We should, you know, uh, uh, be you know sacrificial in giving our time to them. We should tell them about Jesus, but that doesn't preclude that we can we can't also be honest with them about their standing before God as a sinner and about the reality of coming judgment and the reality of eternal torment separated yeah. from God. And I think that people kind of set up, like I said, this false dichotomy where it's an either or. Either you're a street evangelist and you're standing up on a a box, you know, re- proclaiming repent or perish, or you are just, a, you know, doing friendship evangelism where you're spending a long amount of time just getting to know people before you finally share the gospel. And I think you need to do both. I think you need, yes, mm-hmm. you should befriend lost people and you should invest time into them and you should actually care about them and you should tell them about God's love. I think you can also, even early on in the relationship, even in your first conversation, you can tell them the gospel, which includes that judgment is coming and that if you stand before God apart from Christ, you'll be condemned for your sin and be separated from him for eternity. Like, uh, you know, when we look at the New Testament pattern of evangelism, the apostle Paul didn't waste any time proclaiming that Mm -hmm. to people, but Paul clearly also built relationships with people. He also, you know, he cared about people. So I don't think it's an either or. I think it's a both and. And I think we have to have discernment too. Like if it's your next door neighbor, you know, you're going to have more than one opportunity to have a conversation with your next door neighbor. But if it's the clerk at a random gas station and the Holy Spirit prompts you to pray for that person, you don't know if you're going to see them again. You can't take the risk of saying, well, maybe I'll see them again and then I'll share the gospel. No, share it now. Because what if you never see them? What if this is their last chance to hear the gospel? So 
I don't know. I just, uh, I, I didn't, we didn't even plan on getting into this conversation, but it just kind of no, brought we're this We're 11 up. minutes in and uh, yeah. I feel like this has turned into an evangelism conversation. I know, right? <laughs> but <laughs> it's just, it doesn't have to be this, you know, false dichotomy. I think it needs to be both. So um, I feel like we're at a fork in the road here where we either need to change the topic of our episode or we need to go ahead and jump into our original topic. What do you want to do? Uh, let's stay with the topic and let's just put a pin in it and we will have uh, probably many times because of our passions for sharing the gospel, we will have more, you know, uh, introductions or banter or tangential conversations about evangelism or we'll just do a whole episode. But let's jump into today's topic. Uh, what is today's topic here? Today's topic is why we should prioritize gathering in person for worship. Um, and so I, I think uh, by the way, this is a podcast by everyday church planters for everyday pastors and church planters. And so uh, I love the fact that we almost just right in the middle of an episode had to decide if we were going to change our topics or not, which is great. So <laughs> um, right. it's good. Hey, that's how we roll here. All right. So, yeah, I think this is a topic that I want to preface this entire you know, topic by saying that I know there are strong feelings on this subject, especially during this time. But the reason that we're talking about it is because it's it really is an important topic. We clearly understand that there are extenuating circumstances. And one of the most important things that we can do as pastors and leaders is come alongside those church members who are not yet able to physically gather with the church to care for them well, especially older church members. So we want to preface what all that we're going to say with you you need to love your church members well who cannot physically gather right now because it's too great of a risk to their health or for you know other extenuating circumstances. Um, we've got to be intentional about caring for them, though, be- precisely because they are missing out on something important by not being able to physically gather. And I think that's the main emphasis behind today's episode. So uh, in no way is this meant as a condemnation of those who aren't physically gathering. Uh, rather, I what I hope people will hear in our discussion on this topic is us saying, brothers and sisters, this is important and we plead with you to prioritize it. We plead with you to consider why you ought to make this a high priority. Because um, there's there's de- certainly room for Christian freedom in this, right? I mean, uh, I don't think, you know, we don't, uh, the scripture doesn't tell us what to do with our physical gatherings in the time of a pandemic. Um, mm. But I think we can safely conclude that biblically, we ought to make every effort to resume in-person gatherings as soon and as safely as is reasonably possible, because I don't think there's any doubt that Scripture clearly emphasizes that in-person gatherings are not optional things for the Christian long term. Uh, There are exceptional cases. So we're... um, And the reason that we're talking about this, at least for me, I'll let Logan, you know, kind of share why he thinks this is important. But the reason that that I wanted to talk about this topic is that it's something that I've really 
COVID-19, God has used COVID-19 to really to rev- show me how important physical gatherings actually are. And you know, that, you know, that old phrase slogan, like you don't know what you have until it's gone. It's probably like an old song or something that I don't even know the name of. Is it? <laughs> I think it is. You, you don't know what you got till it's gone. Did, no, you, is just, that, did you make that That's up? like an old 80s song, isn't it? I don't, I have no idea, man. It probably oh, man, is. I'm so sorry for everyone who just had to hear me <laughs> say that. I have no idea, but I'm sure it is an old song, but it's true because, you know, we went a couple of months without physical gatherings and you felt it like it was just like, it became difficult. And I remember that first Sunday of being able to resume gathering together. And it was like, man, this is glorious. This is amazing. And I know you guys, uh, just, uh, started regathering again this past week, didn't you in Iceland? No, so this is, um, we didn't this past Sunday, but as of September the 13th, I think is right, the the 2nd yeah. September, uh, we will. So, uh-huh. um, so we, it basically felt, it was like uh, on a Sunday, we couldn't gather, the next day it was changing. But yeah, I mean, there have been... Uh, Matter of fact, I think all churches have been affected by this. And so I saw even a local Pentecostal church was announcing that they would be meeting in person um, recently because it it had to do with the capacity of people and the two meter rule. And so basically any church of, you know, normal size, while you might be able to have the number of occupants in your building, you could not maintain the two meter distance uh, and not run into issue of not being able to have everybody. And so Mm. everyone pretty much went online for um, several weeks. And we had done this when when the restrictions first hit in March. There was a extended season of, I want to say it was somewhere around two, almost three months where we did online gatherings. And then we were able to regather in person. Uh, and then we've been online again for the last, I think, four weeks. So it's, it's kind of a yo-yo. Yeah, it is. And that's kind of, you know, this season we've, I think we've all learned to be pretty flexible and to be ready to adjust at a moment's notice. If there's, uh, you know, we've learned many lessons through COVID-19. And one of the lessons that we've learned is to expect the unexpected and to just, um, you know, kind of roll with the punches and trust God and not set our plans in stone, right? Man can make his plans, but the Lord determines his steps. And I think that passage has certainly come into play this year for many of us as we try to lead churches in, you know, very, very uncertain times. It's difficult to plan for anything. We, yeah. we've we been blessed. We've been able to gather in person since June. I can't remember the, la- the exact date, but we live in uh, kind of a uh, an area where three states—it's difficult to d- describe this to people who aren't in DC. DC is technically not a state. The DMV. It's the DMV. So there's three states, if you count DC as a state, which technically they're not. 
uh, there are Although districts. Although I did, I did see somewhere that you guys were applying for statehood again. You guys, <laughs> we're not going to get into that. We're not getting into politics. So, okay. anyways, uh, <laughs> I, there are some in D.C. who would like to see D.C. become a state, and so there's D.C., the District of Columbia, and then there's Virginia and Maryland. And I literally, so to go to my office in D.C., I live in Virginia, and I drive through Maryland and in D.C. So, like every day, I'm in three states. If you count D.C. as a state which is interesting. And so we had the benefit of when Virginia lifted their restrictions and allowed churches to resume gathering, DC was still locked down. So we just hopped across the river and were able to meet at a hotel. And that's where we've been for the past 11 weeks. And it's actually this coming Sunday is going to be our first Sunday back inside the district uh, where we were planted. So we're really excited about that because that's where we want to be. Our church is called Pillar Church of Washington, DC. So uh, it makes sense that we would be Oh, speaking of, real quick, go ahead and tell us the most recent update for you guys. Uh, if, if people have been following you on social media, I mean, you guys have some big news. Yes, we have a new facility. So we are going to be also uh, that Sunday going to be worshiping for the first time in our new facility that we're going to be leasing uh, from another church that has graciously allowed us to share space with them. Uh, they're in the district. So we're really, really excited about that. We're going to be right in the middle of Southwest D.C. Uh, for those who don't know, it is an extremely difficult place to find um, property to be able to meet in, and and the uh, the the provision from God has just been amazing. Like this is something there's no way we could have brought this about. It's so very clearly just God's miraculous provision. Uh, I'd love to share the story maybe some other time. If if, if you want to know the details, you can always message me and ask. Uh, we don't have time to jump into it now, but we're pretty pumped. And we happen to be celebrating our one year anniversary as a church plan on the same day. So we got got a lot to celebrate uh, this coming this coming week. So yeah, we're definitely excited about it, man. Um, Okay, so um, so like I said, we've been meeting now for about 11 weeks. One of the things that I noticed, too, when we started meeting again, though, Logan, was it was a lot more freedom uh, in our worship. Like, all of a sudden, we cared a lot less about getting our transitions just right or is the sound operating you know properly or are the slides getting changed on time and those things just started to fall by the wayside and we all kind of have had this I think change in attitude where I mean we all everybody like every I think every church planner would would say, you know, like if you were to ask them, they would give you the Bible answer and say, well, those things shouldn't matter and we should focus on the Lord. But every church planner and pastor I know also knows the temptation to get really fixated on those things and to worry mm-hmm. about them. And one of the amazing things that I've noticed as we've resumed gathering, just the fact that we're so thankful to be together has caused those things to just kind of fall by the wayside and I don't even notice them anymore. There's just a freedom in our worship. I, I don't know. Does that make sense? No, it does. And I mean, there's there's kind of a phrase, um, major on the majors and minor on the minors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's human nature. I mean, once again, we're all sinners. Those of us who are saved by grace, we still have the old self daily that is needing to be crucified again and again. Um, and we just fight the flesh. Um, and I mean, I feel that especially in North America and the more you get into urban settings and, you know, each church kind of has a culture 
and uh, that that's influenced by leadership, but it's also influenced by where they're at. Um, and if depending on if you're in a very type A or um, transient community where efficiency and professionalism are valued, not DC. Your ch- that's huh? not, not DC. Definitely not. No, not definitely not DC. <laughs> um, your church will take that on because a church is a, is a gathering of people, and so if everyone is already nine to five, or if you commute, you know, seven to seven, uh, used to being in a very professional, very tight very clean and crisp kind of environment, then your church and the Lord's Day gathering becomes almost like an expression of that and an expectation of that. Um, and you don't really see the creep, like how it starts finding its way in there. And I know I, I fall victim to this because I'm someone, I'm, I'm kind of a tinkerer. Uh, I'm always looking to make things better. So it's like, you know, right now I've got a honeydew list and I have goals and projects and tasks and everything. And so I'm always, I'll see something. I'm like, you know what? I just, I, I like it, but I just feel like it could be better. Um, and slowly but surely, we can. Some would call that being get, a perfectionist, by the way. Yeah, I, I'm. So I'm a one on the enneagram. So I am. <laughs> I am a perfectionist. Uh, and, but a lot of people are. Yeah. And a lot of leaders fall into this um, kind of habit of wanting everything to be a certain way. Um, and while I believe that it is good and godly to do things of excellence. One of the things I think COVID has helped us understand is that while we should, there's something good and godly about excellence, um, there is also grace and understanding what we're doing on Sundays. Mm. Like that is the gathering of that local expression of God's family, mm-hmm. brothers and sisters in Christ, gathering to rejoice in the fact that they have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that um, he, God is now their father because of the adoption of the Holy Spirit and through prayer and scripture and songs and giving and the ordinances, this local expression of God's family gets together and it's a little picture of heaven. And it's a picture of heaven. It's not heaven. Right. <laughs> Meaning right. we're going to mess some things up. Uh, yes. And so I feel like when you... You know, absence make the heart grow fonder. And so yeah. I, if, if I see my wife every day for three weeks, I'm going to start nitpicking. I'm going to start nagging. I'm going to start like, but all of a sudden, if I miss her for three weeks, like if, if she goes off somewhere and, and uh, you know, goes and visits family back in the States and comes back, I'm just like, I'm going to be so overjoyed mm. that I'm not going to care about the things that would have gotten on my nerves, um, which is my, my fault, my sin. Um, And so one of the things that I've been thinking and one of the things I would challenge any Christian leader who's listening to this is now that we kind of have this longing and and the anticipation and now the the overjoyedness of getting together for some of us back or maybe you're someone who isn't able to gather yet, but you will. How do you design your liturgy or even your your worship in such a way to help keep that familial, that 
this is the Lord's Day gathering of this local church. And and we're just so happy to be here. Um, and, and, you know, how do you how do you do those things? Like, have you thought about this? Have you have you asked yourself, like when we gather in a building, what are the things that maybe we want to maybe elements or forms that we want to like shift around? Um, maybe you thought about this. Maybe you haven't kind of put you on the spot. What do you think? I mean, I think that not. Not a whole lot, but I would say I think there's been a subtle shift for us, it, you know, kind of like I alluded to earlier in that we, I mean, we've always kind of viewed the the gathering on the Lord's Day on Sunday. It's not primarily, like we don't gear everything towards an evangelistic bent. We mm-hmm. believe that when that the church gathers on the Lord's day to worship the Lord, to fellowship with one another in the presence of God, you know, to, to praise him, the preaching of the word is, you know, primarily aimed towards the building up of the church. And we believe that as non-believers come in and hear the preaching of the word of God as they hear, you know, uh, as they as they interact with other believers and they see the way that we love one another, that they will know that we are Christ's disciples. And that so so evangelism does happen on Sunday mornings and the gospel is preached every single Sunday. But we're not like gearing everything towards making it an attractional event, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think that you mentioned earlier, there can be this almost imperceptible pull towards, towards that direction because of the, especially in America, in American culture, we are so tempted to buy into the consumeristic mindset and to try to sell ourselves almost to visitors. You know, it's like, Oh, we've got visitors today. we got to make sure we put our best foot forward so that they'll come back. I mean, that's such a, a strong draw. And so I think if anything for us, we have certainly had an easier time since regathering of not worrying about that stuff. Like we're really not. And what's funny is that we're growing right now more than we ever were. Even before COVID, we've got more visitors coming. We've had more people responding to the gospel. We just had a membership class a couple weeks ago and we had 12 people at the membership class, the biggest membership class we've had yet, you know, in our first year as a church plant, except for the very first one when we started. And it's just, so it's just a reminder to me that the gospel is more than enough to save mm. people, to draw people. We don't we don't need all the extra frills. We don't need to try to attract anybody. We can gather together on the Lord's day to build up the saints through the preaching of the word, to worship and glorify God through singing and through, you know, praying and calling out to him. Uh, and uh, I saw, I think that's just been our, our focus. So, yeah. and it's, you know, one of the things that I really want to get to in this episode is, you know, all those things I just talked about, um, you can, you can kind of do some of it when you're not physically gathering in person. Like there can be a, you can preach a sermon, uh, that can be consumed online. Uh, there can be some interaction. If you do like a zoom call, you can, you know, have church members talk to each other. And we actually did that, uh, back in the first couple of months when everything was on lockdown, we had pre-recorded services. And then after that, we would do a zoom call fellowship where we would all get on. But even still, you typically had the same people who would talk 
and a lot of the other people would like turn their video off or just sit there and smile and grin and not really say anything because they're shy and it's awkward and it's really hard to pray because you'll start praying and then somebody cuts you off and you know Mm -hmm. you just everybody listening knows what I'm talking about because you guys have all been on these zoom calls and you've tried to do prayer meetings over zoom and you've tried to do fellowship over zoom and you know every all of us know deep down that it's it's not the same and I think that we are missing something huge whenever we don't physically gather and I think that I have come to the strong conviction that we ought to do everything that we can to prioritize physically gathering with other believers on the Lord's day. Um, as long as it's reasonably possible, that doesn't mean that you should unnecessarily put yourself or your church members in danger. You should not Mm -hmm. do that. But I do think that if you follow the, you know, guidelines that are set forth and, you know, by health officials and things of that nature, then you ought to make every effort to gather with other believers. And I kind of want to, there's, there's a few reasons that I've thought about, like specific reasons that I want to list. So Logan, well, why don't we do this? I'll just kind of, I'll start tossing these out one by one and kind of let you respond to them and kind of give your take. Okay. Um, Go for it. So the first reason uh, that I think we ought, it's good to gather physically in person is that God is with the gathered church. So Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20, he said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Um, And so the presence, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. And so, you know, somebody might say, well, Jared, I can worship God at home. And yes, mm-hmm. it's true. You can worship God at home. Uh, I worship God every single morning in my quiet time when I open up my Bible and my my journal and I pray. But I also believe that scripture is pretty clear that God is present with his people in a way when they are gathered as the church, that he is not when you are alone in your home. Mm-hmm. Uh, God's presence is with his people when they're gathered as a church when they're, in a way that... because. We are um, built, you know, the Bible also describes the church as God's building, right? And each one of us are God's body and each of us are members of a body. And so when we come together, we are the temple of God. First, you know, first Peter talks about how we're the, the temple of God. And so the spirit of God, just like in the Old Testament, the spirit of God dwelt in the tabernacle uh, in the wilderness. And then when they first settled in the promised land and then afterwards, Solomon built a more permanent structure and he built uh, the temple and the spirit of God dwelt in the temple. And then because of Israel's apostasy in Ezekiel chapter 10 and 11, we read about how the spirit of God left and departed the physical temple and never returned. The next time mm-hmm. we see the uh, the spirit of God return, the spirit of God rests upon Jesus like a dove at his baptism. And so Jesus is, you know, the temple of God. He says in John two, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up claiming that, you know, that he has, you know, the fullness of deity dwells in him bodily. And then Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, promised to send his spirit, to pour his spirit out on all flesh in Joel 2. And so the spirit of God now rests on and in the church, right? So the believers gathered together um, are now the, the spirit. What I'm saying is the spirit doesn't reside in a physical temple anymore. It resides in believers when they're gathered together physically. So that's, I think, 
the, that's the most important theological reason I would say it's important to gather physically. Yeah, no. And uh, I'm, I really don't have much to add except for, I mean, I can give even a, kind of an analogy of that here. So I'm an American living in Iceland. So if I'm all by myself, let's say that I wasn't married, which I am joyfully married to my wife, Carla, um, but let's say I was a single American living here and I'm used to a certain culture and I have a certain identity. When I go to a place and there's another American or two Americans, there's something of a spirit and a representation of what it means to be American, whether that's values or that's experiences or just identity, like a corporate identity Mm. that you don't get to do by yourself. And so when you have spirit empowered, spirit filled, adopted children of God gathered in a place and they know that the most primary thing about them, the thing that they most identify with is the fact that they belong to Jesus Christ, that in a very real way, God is among them Mm -hmm. and the spirit of God dwells in, in a very unique way among them. Uh, and yeah, I, and this is most especially done when those individuals gather, not only, I mean, so you can have, uh, three Christian guys enjoying uh, a football game, but specifically when we gather to worship and the central, the central focus is our worship of the worthy God of the risen Christ and the spirit filled and spirit fueled worship towards him. There is something otherworldly about that, that uh, is transcendent through all of redemptive history where we do see, yes, the tabernacle uh, and even, you know, Eden and the tabernacle and the temple and now with Christ uh, and, and the church being the living stones that the Holy Spirit dwells within when we gather to worship. And so, yeah, I, I think that that explains the spiritual kind of um pull or longing that many of us feel that we just don't understand Mm -hmm. that that we're just so desiring to gather again Mm -hmm. is because there's something about our new nature in christ that just longs for that and And i I think if we do if we truly worship in spirit and truth the way that we're called to worship aspects of the worship especially the lord's supper creates that longing for when we actually get to like do that in around the throne of god absolutely and i would even i'm gonna i want to be careful here but (laughs) i would even say that if you don't what's confusing to me is that i hear a lot of christians who almost seem to be zealous to advocate for not meeting together physically for as long as possible Mm. as if and i understand that there is an impulse for many to love their neighbor and a concern for the health of the public and i believe that's genuine and that's good however i do think that 
I get confused <laughs> uh, by the way that I hear some Christians talking because it almost seems like it's more than that. It's not just a concern for the health of the public. Like Christians will get upset. I've had some people push back on me because I've emphasized, you know, and 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 publicly stated how important I believe it is for the church to physically gather. And it's almost like, no, it's not. No, this, you know, the health of, you know, you know, we got to love our neighbors. And I, you know, I get that. I agree. We've got to love our neighbors, but it's just confusing to me when I hear Christians who, you know, almost seem to uh, devalue the physical gathering of the church and seem to um, act like an online gathering is a sufficient substitute. I, one of the things I think that points to, and this is kind of like another reason I believe that we um, ought to meet in person, is that we are holistic beings. Mm -hmm. And I think this is something that doesn't get talked about a lot. I think that um, there's almost this kind of Gnostic dualism, this modern Gnostic dualism where people kind of go, okay, I've got my, my spiritual life is over here. And then what I do with my body is over here and they can be two different things, but God made us holistic beings and he put us within a body. He has confined us to a body. We have a body. We can't just, you know, escape our body here on earth and live without it or live apart from it. We are contained within a body, within space and time. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, he says, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, which means that physical presence matters. He doesn't say like your soul is a temple of the spirit. He says your body, flesh is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So obviously the New Testament places an emphasis on physical presence. Physical presence matters and we can't separate our bodies from our spiritual lives. So while, you know, Zoom calls and things like that, I think we should be thankful for them and they're certainly a blessing uh, because without them, we wouldn't have been able to communicate at all. We wouldn't have been able to receive biblical teaching at all throughout the early days of COVID. They're I, I don't even think they're even close to a substitute for the physical gathering of the church. I think you just miss out on so much um, when you're not physically gathering. I mean, you know, here's another you know reason too. How do you obey the one another's in Scripture? Mm -hmm. If the extent of one of your if you're if one of your church members, I mean, like I think the the church planter and the pastor might be more involved and might be using their gifts. But what about your church member who the extent of their gather of their gathering is they watch a service online and um, they don't really participate in the service. They're not using their spiritual gifts. They're not talking with other believers. They're just cons basically, you know, receiving teaching. Um, mm. And then, you know, maybe throughout, you know, the week they, you know, attend an online Bible study and, you know, okay, so maybe there's some participation there, but maybe there's not. It, like, does, do people know them? Do people know what's going on in their lives? Is there somebody holding them accountable? Are they being discipled? Are they being cared for? Uh, you know, are they, are they being known? Um, I just, it, you know, you think about some of the one another's love one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, encourage one another, pray for one another. 
Um, and so I think, you know, you can practice a few of those to some extent virtually, but there's no way to truly obey all of the one another's if you're not in relationship with people in your church. And it's difficult to cultivate relationship when you never see each other in person. So, yeah, well, and both of those kind of points, one, the response by some Christians in the negative towards church leaders who are wanting to, uh, church leaders and church members who are wanting to quickly get back to having a physical gathering, mm-hmm. and the, I don't know if I would call it temptation, but the, you know, the the realization that when we are doing it via Zoom or Facebook Live or whatever method you do, that you're by yourself. Like, even though you are somehow connected to that, it's not an incarnate in fleshness. And both of mm. those just point to, in my good. thinking, a lack of discipleship um, in helping people understand from Scripture what is going on when the local expression of God's kingdom gathers on the Lord's day to worship him in spirit and truth. Like I think that a lot of churches and church leaders have done, I'm going to say a poor job of discipling and equipping the saints to understand that this is not a, Service that is given to the consumer, but this is uh, uh, like everyone who shows up is participating. That this is mm-hmm. this is an ev- this is a gathering of people where sure there are people who are leading, and there are people who are teaching and preaching and things like that. But everyone is involved, yeah, um, and helping them understand how necessary that is for our maturation and our faith uh, and in our, our public witness. Like, so I'm thinking of Hebrews 10, verse 25. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says, you know, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. And then he says, but, so this is, don't neglect to meet together, encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So mm-hmm. I think about the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, and I think about just understanding that we are in time and space moving towards the return of Jesus Christ and all of these things. It's like, can you do that well in uh, via Zoom? Like, do I get to see other people made in God's image, saved by His grace, empowered by His Spirit, seeking to be sanctified in the image of His Son, singing his praises and praying prayers of confession and praying prayers of thanksgiving and, you know, getting to sit under the apostles teaching or the, the, 
the scripture mm-hmm. and the teaching and preaching of the elders that we've assigned and, and then celebrating the Lord's Supper and baptism. It's like, you can't do that yeah. when you're just zooming in. This, you know, we were, this is really actually reminding me of what we were discussing right before we started this episode, One Assembly by Jonathan Lehman. Uh, we ought to, we need to get him on for an interview at some point and actually talk about that. Uh, he's, he makes a very strong case for, you know, a church being one assembly where, you know, gather one body gathered at one place at one time. Because I think, I think you're right. I think this starts to go into, you know, like, you know, discipleship and helping people understand what's actually happening when we gather together to worship God. I I think that there are, uh, I think that the amount of, you know, like this, we're not, this isn't like, you know, I hope nobody takes offense to this and, you know, we can, uh, you know, we need to have this discussion later, but, you know, Logan and I would be of the, you know, opinion that, uh, you know, like multi-service and multi-site churches, like ultimately we would believe are kind of missing the mark on some of that, that, uh, we believe that ultimately it's very difficult to do Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 as one body, as one church. So we would say that, you know, like a, a multi-site church would be, if you had a church with two campuses, we would say that's two churches and our Mm -hmm. view theologically um and obviously you know there's uh, our brothers and sisters in christ uh we've definitely got brothers sisters of christ who would say otherwise and they can make good biblical arguments for uh, why they do things the way that we do they do them and we welcome that Uh, that just happens to be the way we view things and it kind of plays into uh i think the way that we view the importance of the physical gathering in our context in 2020 with you know with COVID-19 and the, the restrictions on gathering and things like that. Um, it's, I think you're right, Logan. It is a discipleship issue. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and I, I want to just say that if you are a church leader, if you're a pastor or a church planner right now, and you are feeling the pressure, like you, Jared, were talking about, you know, not everyone's going to be on board with uh, the decisions. I mean, there are pastors and church leaders who are really struggling with the pressures that I think church members are putting on them with, you know, I, I know I have friends of mine who are pastors uh, and I can think of two of my just really good friends. One is a peer and one is a mentor of mine who both pastor in Alabama. And I mean, they, their congregations aren't of one mind in this. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just not as some people think, hey, you know, this, we should just get, you know, do as much that we can to safeguard those who are uh, vulnerable. Let's put, you know, mask and hand sanitizer and distancing, but we need to get together. And there are others who are thinking that that is ludicrous. Mm -hmm. That is, that's not safe. It's not wise. Um, And so I, I'm not, I, I don't think I am. I don't think we are, Jared. I don't think you are doing this. We're not advocating that you need to get together as soon as you can. And, um, and we're not saying that uh, yeah. you're out of bounds if you are, right. you know, being cautious in this. Um, because I mean, we have the civil authorities that also in, in the regulations that are um, local to whatever state or municipality you're in. And um, I think I think we just want in this podcast to just talk about why it's so important yeah. that we gather. Yeah, we're not so even if you advice. Like this is not like every con- every situation is different, right? And every context yeah. is different. So this is not Logan and I telling you here's what you need to do. Our only our main point here is that the physical gathering with other believers is very important. 
<laughs> That's what we're yes. saying. And yes, and, and we and so when we're not gathering, I mean, even so, if you right now are doing Zoom calls or you're doing Facebook Live, I mean, even just as a leader communicating that, like trying to help even disciple through teaching and application points or, you know, prayer points about just praying for when we can gather again. And I mean, even just if you start talking as a as a leader about why that's important mm-hmm. and helping people understand, like if you start praying about it and talking about it, maybe there are those uh, new Christians or people who haven't been discipled who might not prior to COVID have thought really well and biblically about the gathering. Um, we have an opportunity to explain maybe, hey, have you felt the longing in your heart for mm-hmm. this? Uh, here's why. And so let's pray for when that happens. And, and then even just thinking of ways creatively that you can help people safely still love one another in the midst of the pandemic. But all of that to say that we just fully believe that it is so important for churches, for the the body of Christ to gather and worship him. Uh, I think it's it's necessary for us to grow in Christ likeness. I think it is uh, really just one of the the only context that we can uh, at least biblically um, see certain practices within the church. And I mean, and just after a, you know, Monday through Saturday of work and family life and stresses and bills and things like that, it's just so good to gather and just have that, have that time where you're like for this time, all of that is cast aside, and I'm just focused singularly on worshiping the Christ who saved me and yeah. gave his life for me. That's good. Man, that's good. Well, uh, we're going to have to wrap it up here because we are running up against time, uh, although I think we could probably do an entire another episode on this. Uh, I didn't even get through all the points, but uh, later this week we will have... We can do a part two. We could do a we part two. We can come two. back. We could, too. we could do a part two. Or I know later this week uh, I'm going to have a, a blog post up on the uh, website www.getinthetrenches.com and it'll cover this topic uh, a little bit more in depth. Can you hear the police sirens oh, yes, going off? Absolutely, I can. What's going on out there, man? I don't know. So I hope <laughs> if you've listened to episode one and two, or episodes one and two, then hopefully the sound quality is better with this microphone. But uh, I live in Breitholt, which is the ghetto of Iceland. So I'm not really certain what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> the ghetto of Iceland. Well, uh, thank you guys for listening to another episode of In the Trenches. If you have not done so yet, make sure that you subscribe. Uh, we are on Spotify. We're on iTunes. We're on Google Podcasts, on a few other uh, platforms as well. And when you subscribe, if you could do us a huge favor and leave us a review, a five-star rating review, that would really help uh, get this podcast into the hands of more people so that that um, yeah, we can uh, we can just encourage more church planters and encourage more pastors. That's what we uh, ultimately exist to do. We want to encourage and equip church planters and pastors as they make disciples in hard places. So we are going to be back next Monday with another episode of In the Trenches. So until then, go out there and get in those trenches, church planters and pastors. 